0: from infant to full-grown, on ISBI's campus from 1850 to February 2023. The long delay in the completing of the construction of the new building at the site of 658 East State Street was caused at first by the insufficient funds raised by the $1.10 mil tax, and later by the failure of the first superintendent of construction, Napoleon Koslowski to insist on competent workers and probably also because of his inexpert design. We remember that the Board of Directors had promptly acquired a plot of land and had employed Mr. Koslowski to draw up plans and supervise construction. However, because of the lack of funds, Mr. Koslowski could not finish all his responsibilities at that time. In 1853, only the cellar was dug and the foundation of stone was laid. The Board of Directors recommended that the area be covered until the construction of the building could be resumed. Gas recommended that John Johnson, the St. Louis architect, be retained to draw up new plans. The Board also paid him $6 a day and expenses, To come to Jacksonville and oversee the construction, although Gass was still kept on as the superintendent of construction. By the end of 1852, the building was under roof, and Mr. Gass was sent to Indianapolis, Indiana, where a new building was under construction, to get pointers on finishing and obtaining equipment for the Jacksonville structure. The entire work, plastering, painting, and so on, continued throughout the years 1852 to 1853. And the grounds were graded, and a cistern was dug, and an auxiliary structures such as wash house, bakery, workshop, and two other Frivvies were constructed. Superintendent of Construction, Mr. Gass, was authorized to have desks built, and then he sent then-principal Joshua Rhodes East in 1853 to attend a meeting of superintendents of schools for the blind. He stopped along the way in Philadelphia to procure other equipment. He purchased two pianos, a melodeon, eight maps, a globe, instructional equipment for science and mathematics, a loom, and materials for tools that would allow for broom and brush making. The interior of the building was nearly finished by December of 1854. Although it was not completely finished, pupils, teachers, and the Rhodes family moved in. Finally, all the workers left and the school was in full session for the term of 1855-1856. The new building was 166 by 66 feet, four stories high with a fifth story or garret. It was a brick building trimmed with stone and heated with four hot air furnaces in the basement space was provided for mr rhodes and his family and several teachers and 50 pupils although the enrollment increased to 70. the school rooms parlors dining room and chapel were all on the first floor the kitchen was on the lower floor and on the upper floor were the sleeping and living quarters shop work by the boys and men was done in a separate building near the main building. A barn in which horses were stabled and a carriage house for wagon storage was also nearby. The grounds provided for space for gardens and orchards and a pasture for the cows. On the northeast and west side of the campus were Osage hedges planted. And on the side facing East State Street, there were neat wrought iron fences. In 1865, the members of the board of directors were startled when they received a letter from the president of the St. Louis, Jacksonville, and Chicago Railroad announcing that the railroad was to acquire the right-of-way of 135 feet off the west side of the property. The railroad already had right-of-way directly adjacent to the west side. The board immediately refused the request and appointed one of their own lawyers to take care of the matter. But this was not the end of the situation. The railroad president reminded the trustees that in 1857 the state of Illinois legislature had passed an act they gave the railroad the right to acquire any state land that was necessary for the operation of the railroad. Of course, the trustees protested vigorously against the seemingly high handed procedures, but all appeals to the courts failed, and the railroad took legal possession of that strip of land. Even the legislatures would do nothing other than require the governor to appoint a commissioner to look into the matter, but later also decided in favor of the railroad. The railroad, called the Gulf Mobile and Ohio Railroad in 1970, proceeded to build sidings and depots and generally to create hazards to pupils and public. When going from the school to the downtown area. But in over 100 years. The crossing has always been guarded. By a watchman. Or by warning bells. And there has never been any accidents. In later years when the watchman shack wasn't actually used for a watchman. It became a Santa Claus house at Christmas time and used for special occasions on other holidays. When I went to school there in the 60s, a steam engine would come through town once a year as a commemoration of laying tracks through Jacksonville, Illinois in 1825. That old train station, an awesome piece of history in Jacksonville, is now a restaurant. It has gone through several different owners, most famous being Lanzarote's Italian Restaurant. Today, in 2023, it is called Poor Richard's Restaurant. While sometimes it could be a little annoying, the familiar sound of the train going by the school was comforting. Here I have that sound that many of us liked hearing in the late night hours. Is not the steam engine, but for those listening who have attended this great school, it will bring back comforting memories. As I mentioned in an earlier podcast called Locations of Our Campus, I mentioned that in 1869, this fine building that was finished in 1874 burnt down, and the students had to be relocated to a home owned by Eliza Ayers on East State Street. That is where they went to school from 1870 to 1874 when the center and west wings of the new main building then were opened. We all call it the old main building because that's the one that got torn down in 1970. Then in 1882 the east wing was opened. In 1888 the north wing which was used for a hospital, a boiler room, and eventually There was a dynamo used for bringing power to the main building. In back of the main building was a stable and a dairy used for cows. The main building could hold up to 300 people. In 1882, 22 additional acres were purchased by the state behind the school to be used for farmland and animals and crops. This was sold back to the state in 1962. The new land came with a two-story building that was used for teaching adults trades up to age 60, such as broom making, brush making, link mats, bath mats, basket weaving, things they could make a living with. The maximum age of 60 was reduced to age 21 in 1890s when Superintendent Frank H. Hall became in charge. In 1889, a high school girls' dorm was built. It sat where most of the current library classroom building is and Unit 18, which was a girls' dorm. That library building is called Unit 17 and the girls' dorm is called Unit 18. We all called that girls' cottage the mansion. Each week on Thursdays, the girls would gather on the balcony and perform songs for the whole community. Hundreds of people would come out to listen. That building was taken down in 1963. In 1892, the hospital was moved to a new place on the north side of the campus. Later, that hospital was renamed the Little Red Schoolhouse where they taught deaf-blind people. This hospital extended from the north parking lot almost over to the mansion. It also had a barber shop in the basement. It had a large outside garden area or arborarium they would call it with benches and flower pots. buildings that were added in the 1890s and stayed until the middle 1920s included a gymnasium in 1896, a kindergarten boys dorm, a grade school boys dorm, and a high school boys dorm, all built in the 1890s, a swimming pool built in 1929, an elementary grade school girls dorm, and another high school girls dorm. The elementary girls dorm was called Unit 6 and the high school girls dorm was called Unit 5. Also, a maintenance shop was built, a print shop, and a garage. In the 1920s, there was a big reconstruction movement, and several buildings were built on campus. In 1922 is when they tore down the Arborarium and built the elementary girls dorm, which was called Unit 6. Then they built a new or second high school girls dorm in 1926. Then on the other side of the campus, in that same time they were building buildings, they were preparing to tear down the three older elementary, junior high and high school boys dorms on the east side of the campus. They started that demolition 1928 through 1930, and they built the new Boys Dorm, Unit 4, that would be Kindergarten Boys Dorm, in 1930. Then they built another dorm called the Junior High Boys Dorm called Unit 3, finished in 1934. The final building on that side of the campus for the students was Unit 2, which then was called the High School Boys Dorm that ran parallel to East State Street like the other units who did and it was finished in 1936 and the students could move in. A new library was added in 1937 and all books and catalogs and such were moved from the third floor of the Old Main to the new library in 1937. That library sat on the west side of the dining room that was built in 1941, which I will mention in a few minutes. And that building, called the library in 1937, was unique because it had ivy growing up all the walls on the outside. That building was removed in 1963 after the new classroom building was built which is now called Unit 17 Library Classroom Building. And all material from the old library was moved over there. In 1938, a new powerhouse was built, which would be behind the new dining room. And behind that powerhouse stood a 150-foot smokestack. And that is where the sound of the whistle came from that scheduled the beginning and ending in classes and lunch time etc. all power that was once in the main building was moved over to the powerhouse which still stands today however the heat is no longer provided by steam but by natural gas in 1940 the new dining room was started before this the dining room was in the current auditorium location it was a wooden floor they started taking that apart in 1948 the new dining room was opened up in 1941 in those days before all the rules of not being allowed to pray in school or mention God in the dining room you had to stand behind your chair until a grace bell was rung and you had about five minutes to say prayers, and the grace bell was rung once again, and you could sit down. That was also done in the old dining room, that was in the old main building, and in this new dining room. They stopped doing that somewhere in the late 1960s. I'm going to now let you hear the first grace bell that was used, and there's a little story about this Grace Bell. A student who graduated in 1932, Franklin Green, told me of the story when him and a few others stole the Grace Bell out of the dining room and went downtown to a phone booth and called Superintendent Woolston and said they were holding that Grace Bell hostage until students had a choice in what they ate and the preparation of menus. Mr. Woolston agreed to hear the students as long as they would bring the grace bell back. Well, they brought the grace bell back, but there wasn't a lot of change. Then they stopped using that grace bell and put in an electric gray spell which they could switch off and on with a switch and I'm not totally sure when that started being used it was used ever since I started going to school there in 1959 and I'm pretty sure it stopped somewhere around 1968 or 69 so here are the two gray spells the gray spell one sounds like one of those bells that you would ring at a cash register to get attention. The grace bell 2 is an electric grace bell that goes and you hear that next. These two recordings were recorded on a cassette tape recorder in the early 1990s so please forgive the quality of the recording. they took the old dining room and they made it be a dance hall for a while a recreational activity place and started taking it apart and turning it into a full-scale theater in 1948 and it opened for its first viewing for a Thanksgiving program in 1950 construction of the new main building which sits In what was once the circle drive of the old main building, started in early 1969. Before students went home for their summer break in 1970, we started moving books over to the new main through the back wall of the principal's office on a ramp that was put between the two opened areas. A door in the new main building on the ramp and the back wall of the principal's office. We moved all the supplies over on large planks of wood in laundry carts. When schools started in 1970 September, the destruction of the old main building started. In 1999 to the year 2002, old Unit 5 and Unit 6 were demolished and that made room for the transitional living building which was opened up in the year 2000. This building was mainly to teach seniors and fifth year seniors independent living skills. There were a few single apartments and some apartments with three bedrooms. Students were originally given a mailbox key and a key to the door. Eventually, the mailbox keys were taken because students had a tendency of losing them. On the east side of the campus, the new Unit 2 co-ed dorm, which sat parallel to Howe Street, was built in 2000-2001. They had boys' pods on one side and girls on the other, two of them for each gender. And on a core office desk in the middle of the building. Unit 4 was taken down last. The 150-foot smokestack that was behind the powerhouse which made the whistle noise for classes to change and lunches and stuff. It was taken down in around 2011 when the campus was converted over to natural gas. We have since had many updates and remodelings of buildings on campus. Some include a new main building roof, a new roof on the Transitional Living Center, updating of Unit 18, and they are going to be updating the interior of the new main soon. And that is where we are now in 2023, the best facility for teaching the blind and low vision students of Illinois to become Responsible, contributing citizens of their communities wherever they end up in life. Because of the many faculty and residential care workers, ground workers, the dietary workers, all those who help out at the school to provide a high-quality education and life experience, these young adults will be able to make great contributions to the world in the future in their own little corner of the world. I hope this short little journey of the Illinois School for the Visually Impaired brought back some good memories to those who have graduated from this fine facility and are now giving their best to the world. I also hope that it inspired you listeners who have never been to our school to share the great heritage of the school with those around you, and encourage others who have blind children to send them to this school where they will get a high quality of life experiences and learn how to enjoy life as a blind or low vision person and give back to the world. Being blind doesn't mean that the world is ended. This school can prove totally the opposite. God bless to all.